all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I just want to say happy Friday to everyone. That's how I start off all Fridays is I'm usually pretty excited that it's Friday. Um, But the weather is not so great today. It's been all over the place this week. We got a little bit of summer and then we had a kind of repeat of winter that showed up yesterday. And then now everything is just full of rain. So I have I'm hyper focused on the weather most of the time because I'm trying to figure out what the kids should wear to school. Do I need to leave the house earlier so that we're not too late? Um, we just didn't make the cutoff for car drop off this morning. I was getting a little worried that I was going to have to get out and sign them in just because of the rain. But I say all that to say is if you're out there on the road driving and listening, please make sure you are being extra cautious and careful um, in this weather. And I, and as my mom would say, if you don't have to get out in it, then stay at home, you know, kind of keep yourself safe in general, um, but prepare all together. So if you listen to the intro a little bit before, uh, I saw a good bit of concern about people like I've just been a little nauseous Dr. Kinsey um, this week or they've had some vomiting that they can't really explain that's not really a stomach bug or doesn't fall really in line with that Um, So I just decided today that I would just kind of open it up to some common causes of nausea and vomiting. And I will say as a female and usually female of reproductive age, anytime at work you say you're a little sick to your stomach, you're a little paranoid because you feel like right away everyone's like, oh my gosh, are you pregnant? Like, are you about to be out for a while? You know, so it's like you're almost sometimes scared to say you don't feel so great. But we all know that there are more things that can cause you to be nauseous or have some vomiting than just pregnancy. But I will We'll start off with talking a little bit about nausea and vomiting pregnancy, and then we'll kind of segue to some other um, topics to kind of discuss. And if there's something that you have questions about, please feel free to call, and I'm happy to cover those. But that is one thing that I do not miss uh, three babies later is that time of nausea and vomiting during pregnancy. Um, my boys made you know, made me feel like I could have a bunch of babies because I actually really did not have a lot of morning sickness um, until that baby girl. She is she's a special one. She she had mom feeling bad a good bit of mornings. But the interesting thing about morning sickness is even though we call it morning sickness, anybody that's had a baby probably can tell you that is not just the morning. It can happen at any point during the day. So, you know, I, I tell all my patients every now and then I'll get patients come in and I say, you know, 
know you're a woman, you can technically have babies right now. So we do need to do a pregnancy test and make sure that's not what's going on before we start looking into some other causes. And I tease some of my patients. I'm like, if we're doing the things to get pregnant, pregnancy is on the list of causes. I'll get people like, Dr. Kenzie, it's not possible. And I'm like, are we doing the things that cause babies? And they're like, yeah, then it's possible. Um, so that's a quick and easy way is if, you know, your cycle's a little off, you're feeling a little nauseated, not feeling great. Um, pregnancy might be the cause. So we do know oftentimes nausea and vomiting pregnancy, you typically can see in that first trimester. Um, but for some women, unfortunately, that does not get better and they can have those symptoms throughout pregnancy, typically not just in the morning um, and can happen throughout the day. There is a very special situation in some women called hyperemesis gravida, and that is an exaggerated version of nausea and vomiting Um with pregnancy. And so that's for women who pretty much oftentimes have almost vomiting significantly every day, multiple times a day, inability really to kind of keep things down. And they're at significantly increased risk of dehydration. So a lot of these women, when should you be concerned? You're not keeping anything down. You're losing a lot of weight. You're not making as much urine as you used to. A lot of lightheadedness and dizziness, those things that really prompt you that maybe I'm significantly dehydrated um, from this. And of course, talking with your OB to see if this is something something you kind of fall into the category of. So for any of those ladies out there that might be experiencing um, some nausea and vomiting related to pregnancy, um, just some quick tips on how to manage that um, is, you know, everyone says, try to avoid that feeling of being really, really hungry or letting your stomach be empty. So, you know, when you're waking up, making sure you're going ahead and eating, um, making sure you have snacks around, um, you know, my thing was I'd have crackers at the bedside. Unfortunately, after my first baby, he had a peanut allergy. So those peanut butter crackers weren't as helpful. So I had to switch to the cheese ones. But anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. But just making sure that uh, you have some kind of snacks around, avoiding that feeling of, of hunger, avoiding feel things that can make you feel more nauseated, spicy, greasy foods, um, lots of, you know, kind of carbonated beverages, other things that they recommend, you know, um, avoiding like coffee or and then, of course, things that, you know, are your triggers that have strong odors. Those types of things can oftentimes really be triggers for patients. So really listen to your body, learn your body and try to avoid those things. You know, interestingly enough, uh, brushing your teeth after every meal can really help with that nausea and vomiting, um, sucking on a peppermint candy or things like that can really help. Um, very cold liquids, you know, wanting to make sure you stay hydrated. You know, when you're pregnant, you do have a little bit of anemia sometimes and some iron deficiency during pregnancy. So we always used to laugh because there's this certain kind of ice you want. Like Sonic is known for their ice. Zaxby's has the right kind of ice. Those types of things that people are looking for. So I just remember in, in pregnancy, like pulling up to Sonic on my way to work and be like, I want the largest cup of ice <laughs> and paying my however many, you know, quarter or whatever they asked me for, for my cup of, I guess I was paying for 
with a cup. That's what they told me at least. But I just wanted a big cup of ice. So anyway, if you're experiencing a lot of nausea or even just not with pregnancy, something that's very cold, typically if you go ahead and put some ice in it, um, fluids kind of kind of help with those um, feelings as well. And you can um, ginger ale is that one thing that a lot of people say the ginger really helps settle your stomach. Um, and then having it very cold, popsicles can help as well. Just something kind of cool really can help with those uh, feelings of nausea, especially if you're not able to keep um, a lot of food down, trying to make sure um, that you're ultimately staying hydrated. And interestingly enough, your environment can play a huge role in this. So uh, avoiding things that make you feel that. So being in stuffy small rooms that are hot, try avoiding, um, of course, when you're in small rooms and people have on those strong perfumes and chemicals and all those kind of things. So trying to make sure that you're kind of keeping yourself out of those um those type of situations as well. So some holistic, so those are just some kind of lifestyle modifications you can make. Some other like holistic remedies, um, as I mentioned, ginger ale can really help. There are ginger tabs, ginger chews, you know, other uh, ginger lollipops, those types of things that can help you. Um, if you're not wanting to go towards a prescription kind of treatment for your nausea, um, interestingly enough, vitamin B6, um, so over-the-counter vitamin supplements um, can help you um, with your feeling of nausea. And so like with anything, just talking with your doctor about what the right amount would be for you, um, because yes, vitamins can be helpful, but oftentimes we can do too much of something. So being mindful of the amount that we're using in general. And then of course, as you know, as we try to make it the absolute last thing we do is to actually use pills and medicine. If it's significant enough that you need to um, kind of take something for them, then we recommend um, talking with your doctor to figure out what options are safe for you. Um, interestingly enough, Benadryl um, can help with the feelings of nausea um, in pregnancy and even sometimes in non-pregnant people as well. Um, and then, of course, we have what we call the anti-emetics or anti-nausea, um, anti-vomiting medications. Many of you might know or be familiar with Zofran, Phenogren. And as with anything, that's weighing the risk and benefits of taking that medication and any potential harm um, to your baby as well. So that's why it's really important to have that discussion with your doctor when you find out that you're pregnant. Other things that can help, um, not just those anti-nausea medicines. Some people have a lot of extra uh, acid production in their stomach. Um, so a lot of times a good portion of the antacid medications um, can really help as well to uh, kind of calm the stomach. And again, your doctor can talk with you about which of those medications um, will be great for you. And if you are just now hopping in, listening uh, to today's show, we are discussing uh, kind of common causes, or maybe not common, just causes I've seen um, of nausea and vomiting. And as I said, for women, you know, the first thing you say, you're nauseous or you vomit, everyone's looking at you trying to see if you're pregnant or not. But there's so many other things um, that can be causing it. So we spent the first half, if you ever want to go back and listen to the podcast, talking about nausea um, in pregnancy and some things we can do to help combat that. But I'm going to kind of uh, segue a little bit from um, talking about, you know, nausea and vomiting in pregnancy and talking about some other causes. And so interestingly enough, the list is crazy long. If you go and Google um 
causes of nausea, vomiting separate together, however it may be. I mean, I think when I Googled it, I got over like 50 plus things it could be. So I'm going to try to break this down into kind of bite sized pieces and just kind of generally do an overview of some common things that I've kind of seen come into the clinic over the past few months. I kind of like to break things down a little bit in systems. So I'll go with kind of the most common thing that people think of after they've decided that or you've proven to them that you're not pregnant. Um, What other things can cause your nausea and vomiting? So usually it's something GI cause or so gastrointestinal causes. So we think of is something going on in my stomach um, that can ultimately be causing nausea and vomiting. And so that is a pretty common area, of course, that can cause it. And so some things that I think about when I think causes of nausea and vomiting um, from the stomach area is you can have real bad reflux or people call it GERD, gastroesophageal reflux. Um, You can sometimes get a a bacterial infection in your stomach, not just a stomach bug like the viruses we think about that people get that we've seen a lot of in waves. So um, make sure we're washing our hands out there and trying to avoid people when they're ill because we have been seeing a good bit of stomach bugs. But you can also get something we call H. pylori um, infection. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, Pancreatitis, inflammation of your pancreas. um, That can happen acutely or there's people that deal with it for years at a time. We call that chronic pancreatitis. Diabetes can increase your risk of things like gastroparesis and the most common symptoms of that are usually nausea and vomiting that you will see in those patients. It's pretty persistent. Um, Some of the more life-threatening things that we worry about for nausea and vomiting, sometimes heart attacks. We had talked a lot about that last month in American Heart Month. Um, Heart attacks can present with some nausea um, and vomiting in some people. You can have an obstruction within your GI system or bowel obstruction. Um, People that have chronic liver disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, as I mentioned, the list can go on. So I'm just going to kind of cover some things that sometimes people don't really think about that could be kind of causing their stomach to feel a little bit unsettled. Um, So as I mentioned before, GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease is actually a pretty common one that I see in clinic. And it's not everybody I tell you, not everybody has that, oh, I've got that heartburn. It feels like things are burning in the middle of my chest or it feels like food is coming back up. And people kind of classically put those symptoms with reflux or, you know, I'll get patients all the time. I just don't feel good to my stomach or my stomach feels sour or I feel nauseous. And I said, we could have reflux. So, oh, no, 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 no. My heart's not burning. And I'm like, well, that's not how it presents for everybody. Um, so sometimes just that subtle, uneasy, ill feeling you get in your stomach can be from reflux. And interestingly enough, um, reflux is a lot more common in females than you see in males in general. So oftentimes, you know, patients can have that nausea, that vomiting, and you can have that kind of uh, burning sensation. Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, that kind of weird, bad taste in your mouth can make, can point you in that direction that that's what's going on. Some people can have, it can be a cause of their chronic cough, that acid is kind of coming up and irritating the back of your throat and causes you to cough. So if you've got not the classic heartburn, just some nausea and vomiting um, can occur after certain meals or certain type of foods you eat, then you might want to talk to your doctor. Could reflux be something that I'm dealing with? And so a lot of times we kind of can decide that off of history. 
We can also do an endoscopy, an upper endoscopy um, or an EGD and take a look and see, does the stomach look inflamed or does it look consistent um, with reflux disease? And sometimes we can see um, those findings as well. So the other interesting thing, and so how do we fix that? So an antacid. So sometimes kind of my way or least invasive way of trying to decide if reflux can be the cause of your nausea and vomiting is we can put you on an antacid. Um, you know, people hear about Nexium. Prilosect or Pepsid, Prevacid, those types of things. Um, again, talking with your doctor to see if that's the case. And usually if we've got it right, you're usually going to feel better um, after, depending on which one you take, a few days, definitely within a few weeks if we got the um, diagnosis right and you are indeed dealing with reflux. So as you heard me mention before, um, one thing that people can get sometimes that can cause kind of a chronic nausea and vomiting, and sometimes we just can't put our finger on it and your stomach feels a little upset or you're a little sour on the stomach um, is an infection we call H. pylori or Helobacter, or Helobacter pylori. And so it all and not all of medicine, but there are some parts of medicine that has a really interesting story. And H. pylori discovery has a very interesting and a little bit kind of disturbing discovery. So I'll give you a little bit of like uh, medical facts. So H. pylori was found by or discovered by uh, Dr. Barry Marshall and Robin Warren, and they actually end up winning Nobel prizes for this. But Dr. Marshall, they realized that there's possibly this bacteria that could have been causing ulcers or inflammation in the stomach. So they did all these studies, I believe it was like on pigs or something like that. Um, and they, they couldn't get this bacteria to reproduce it essentially in these pigs. So Marshall decided he was going to take one for the team and he drank H. pylori. He drank the bacteria, a medium he mixed, made his only little concoction and drank this bacteria. And lo and behold, it caused ulcers. So he had a scope or upper endoscopy before he drank this material. Stomach looked fine. He decided he wanted to actually drink the bacteria. And within days or a couple of weeks, he actually developed gastritis or an ulcer. And they were able to culture the bacteria H. pylori from his stomach. And that's how we discovered that H. pylori causes ulcers and gastritis. So people aren't, you know, doing those things today. A lot of things are very heavily regulated, thankfully. Um, But Marshall made this great discovery for us. But anyway, long story short. Um, H. pylori is a bacteria that many people may have actually um, had. And so sometimes people that have had stomach ulcers, that's how we find out you have it. Um, or if you had real bad gastritis, um, you have a scope, they found H. pylori, you get treated for it. But interestingly, I've had a few patients that have just had GI upset. They've had a little nausea. They've had a little vomiting. Um, you know, we put them on an acid and they just don't get better, you know, but the story just kind of fits. And so H. H. pylori, there's lots of ways to test for it, but it's actually a very um, non-invasive test that we can do. We can actually take a stool sample and check for that bacteria in you from the stool sample. So I've diagnosed H. pylori in a lot of my patients just from a stool sample. And the other way you can diagnose the H. pylori is by getting an upper endoscopy, kind of like Marshall. And they go in and they take the biopsies and you're actually able to, you can see H. pylori um, under the microscope. 
um, you can see that little bacteria. And so um, H. pylori can cause ulcers, as I mentioned it, and cause significant gastritis in some people. Um, and you can get it in childhood. You can also get it um, as an adult. And so uh, pretty much the way we treat that is we've got a concoction of antibiotics um, and acids um, that we treat you for. And you typically take that for two weeks. And voila, um, oftentimes I'm, I'm able to help cure your nausea and vomiting for something like H. pylori. So that's something you can discuss with your PCP. So the next thing that people, some people may not know a whole lot about it, but it probably is getting a little bit more traction is gastroparesis. And people are starting to learn more about gastroparesis because of these new wonderful weight loss medications that are out called Ozempic and um or Ozempic's a diabetic medication, or Wagovi, and then Zetbound being one of the other one, and the concern for gut paralysis or gastroparesis. So I've started to get a lot of questions from my patients about gastroparesis. So that is a very rare, first of all, complication um, of any of those medications. And then the question becomes for me, did they have some symptoms of gastroparesis prior to starting these medications? So what is gastroparesis? So essentially gastroparesis is this delayed gastric emptying. It's kind of the the scope of what that means. So things are not leaving your stomach as quickly as they should. So guess what the most common kind of symptoms of when you have gastroparesis is going to be nausea because things are just sitting on your stomach for so long and then things don't want to be there and so you vomit it back up. So those are usually your two most common symptoms when you're dealing with something like gastroparesis. Um, And then some people can have abdominal pain from it um, and things of that nature. And so it, again, kind of like with some of the other things, reflux and other things, gastroparesis is oftentimes seen more in females, um, significantly more usually than we see um, in our male counterparts. Um, so it's something to think of. So there's lots of causes in general of gastroparesis. One of the more common causes being diabetes. So things are usually slowed in the gut because of the nerves that are innervating the gut. So something has interfered with that signal getting to the stomach, telling our stomach to empty like it should. So just like um, diabetes affects the nerves in your feet, sometimes you get that diabetic neuropathy, feet feel numb, burning, tingling, or even in your hands, it affects the nerves in your gut too. And so things are not able to move through um, as they should. Um, Kind of in a similar situation, people with uh, diseases like multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's or other kind of uh, neurological diseases can see um, gastroparesis as well. Um, typically diabetics that develop gastroparesis, that's usually from longstanding diabetes. So years and years of uncontrolled diabetes. So this is not typically something I see in my patients that have had very well controlled diabetes. You're not the patient I'm talking about. So I don't want you there worried about that. But usually if you're pretty well controlled diabetes, gastroparesis is rare. But if you've had uncontrolled diabetes for years, um, you're at increased risk for that. But you also can have post-surgical. So if you've had some type of abdominal surgery or sometimes even like surgery within your chest. Um, If you affect one of the nerves that goes down to your stomach or, you know, that nerve gets irritated in one of the procedures, you can oftentimes get a gastroparesis from that. And interestingly enough, viral illnesses. So sometimes that stomach bug can give you a gastroparesis later. That virus, we call it post-viral gastroparesis. And so that virus ultimately kind of affects um, the nervous system. So you can see that happen sometimes um, as well from different type of viruses that you get. 
And just like with anything else, side effects of medications can give us a very similar kind of gastroparesis. So anything that slows the gut down. So a lot of my patients sometimes on chronic uh, narcotics or opioids for treatment of their chronic pain can get a gastroparesis like pitcher. Um, clonidine can do that sometimes. Some antidepressants can do it. Um, and as I mentioned, some of the weight loss medications that I talked about. So As I say, with caution, don't go to your meds and throw them out because you listen to this podcast today. I hope you just take it as a conversation um, for you to ultimately have with your doctor um, if your medicine could be the the thing that's causing your nausea, vomiting, um, or symptoms um, related to something like gastroparesis. Um, Also with gastroparesis, then you're like, how in the world do I know I have gastroparesis? How do we figure it out? So the test for that is what we call a gastric emptying study. So there's a way for us to find out if food is moving through your tract like it's supposed to. So you ingest a food, they monitor how much is still in your stomach at one hour, two hour, and four hour. And based on the percentage of content still in your stomach, ultimately lets us figure out if you've got any kind of delayed emptying um, of the food that's going in your stomach. And then based off of that, um, you can get the diagnosis of mild, moderate, and severe. And that ultimately, of course, will determine um, exactly what your treatment options are ultimately for your gastroparesis. And like with anything else, we don't always have to hop directly to medications. Um, Ultimately, to help with that, we can look at some other non-medicine. So looking at the things we're eating, so foods that are harder to digest, so your red meats, your really greasy, fatty foods that just kind of sit there on the stomach um, are things that you may ultimately want to avoid um, when you're looking at things like this. So from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC, and for those who may just start listening. We have been talking a good bit about nausea and vomiting for the first half of this segment. Um, And so we kind of talked a lot initially about, you know, as a woman, you start thinking someone said you say you're nauseous and everyone starts kind of giving you a little bit of the look of like, is she pregnant? Is she not telling us something? Um, But I kind of wanted to take this show to talk a little bit more about some other causes of nausea and vomiting um, that we can see in our patients. And so as I mentioned, many people think right away, um, nausea and vomiting and pregnancy in our females that are of reproductive age. The other things that kind of come pretty quick to mind when we're thinking of um Nausea and vomiting is the stomach. So we talked a good bit about some things that we more commonly see in women. So gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD um, is one that I often see um, in a good bit of my female patients and is oftentimes female predominant, um, as well as gastroparesis is another big one. And as I mentioned before, for those that might just now be listening, um, gastroparesis is essentially where the nerves in your stomach aren't quite um, communicating with the gut to move things through um, like they should. And so there's lots of causes of that. And um, it can be anything from a viral illness. Um, And I didn't get a chance to say this earlier. So you can have a post-viral gastroparesis. You can see that from things like rotavirus or Norwalk virus. Those are just kind of common viruses that cause the stomach bug. It is reversible. Um, However, it can take some time. Usually some people up to a year if you get a post-viral gastroparesis. Um, 
The big one that people know a lot about, um, as I mentioned before, um, is diabetes, and that's typically in our patients with uncontrolled diabetes. And then the right before the break, I talked a lot about some different medications um, that can cause a gastroparesis. And so how do you treat it? It depends on the underlying cause. As I mentioned, post-viral, that just takes time. Um, after that virus is gone, your body's just got to have some time to heal. Um, and so you can see that um, usually improve in some people, unfortunately as long as a year. Um, and then if a medication is a cause, discussing with your doctor if it's reasonable for you to no longer take that medication um, or back off of that medicine. Um, so that might be an option for you if it's causing some of your nausea, your vomiting, or your gastroparesis. Um, and for our diabetics, of course, working with your doctor to ultimately control um, your um Diabetes. Of course, there's lots of anti-nausea medicines that you can take that can help with the nausea. Um, for patients with um, gastroparesis, we have medications called prokinetics. So they work by helping move um food through the gut, kind of waking up your gut and get things moving through um, is another option. And so what uh, area you qualify for depends on the cause. And then, of course, the severity of your gastroparesis. And lastly, extremely rare. I don't I'll be honest, I've not seen it done recently, but I saw it a good bit when I was a resident years ago um, is you can get a gastric stimulator. And so that's pretty much a device that um, that they can implant within the gut and kind of acts like your nerve and sends um, signals to your stomach to kind of help move food through. But again, um, that surgery sometimes can have its own level of complications. And um, in the rare, more severe cases is usually the ones um, that we think of for those types of patients. So Kind of going on the the list of GI stuff, um, I mentioned briefly pancreatitis. So that's people that can sometimes have inflammation of their pancreas. Usually, you know, you're dealing with pancreatitis. Those patients have severe, severe abdominal pain um, and oftentimes just have vomiting that just will not go away. You cannot keep anything down. And those are patients that need to be getting to the ER pretty soon for evaluation. Um, you can do a blood test to help us decide if you have pancreatitis um, and sometimes imaging ultra sound, CT scan, those types of things. The patients with vomiting, so vomiting and nausea where I feel like you need to be seen right away. Um, definitely if you're having severe abdominal pain um, with your vomiting, if your belly's distended, then that makes me worry that something's not moving through like it should. Your bowel could be obstructed. Um, if you have any other type of neurological symptoms, that tells you you should be moving and seeing a doctor um, for your nausea and vomiting and not to wait. So I talked a good bit about about uh, the GI causes. So what are some non-GI causes? So the stomach kind of makes sense. Something's wrong with my stomach, so I'm nauseous and I'm vomiting. But what are some non-GI causes um, of nausea and vomiting? People that suffer a lot with migraines um, can know that that is another cause. Some people do not always get severe headaches with it. Um, some patients can just have that kind of nausea, some vomiting, a little bit of photophobia, those types of things. Strong family history of migraines can point you in the direction that that's what you're dealing with. Um, but again, talking with your doctor. So nausea and vomiting, having pretty significant migraines, um, that can be a typical cause. Another cause that I call that I call it almost like a diagnosis of exclusion. Again, something that we can see in females um, more so than we see in males is something that's actually called cyclic vomiting syndrome. So we actually have patients that literally just have nausea and vomiting 
because they have nausea and vomiting. And we don't really find another cause for their nausea and vomiting. So most of it um, is idiopathic, meaning we don't know. <laughs> we have no idea exactly why this happened. We just know that we just know that it happens. And so it's something, again, as I mentioned before, that you need to be talking to your doctor about if you fall into this situation. So as I mentioned, you typically see it um, in females. Children can have this. I do peds as well. And so I've had quite a few patients with what we call cyclic vomiting syndrome. And then in women, um, in most adults, it happens usually in your mid-30s. That's about the age that we see this in. Um, and these people, and we call it cyclic because so there's a cycle to it. So you can almost know when it's going to come. And these patients can ultimately have multiple six to eight times an hour just vomiting. Um, and so there's like nothing left in their system. And some patients, this can last for a couple of days um, or so, and then it goes away. And you can't really always figure out exactly what happened. And it oftentimes can happen four or five times a year. And then in between the bouts, you are completely normal. You feel fine. Everything's fine um, in general. Usually we see this more in patients that have a history of migraines, but can be in a separate group of patients in general. Um, but as I mentioned before, it has this very uh, uh, cyclic pattern to it. So again, it's just vomiting persistently with some nausea can last up to two days, but could be longer. Some people can have this happen up to 12 times or so a year. As I mentioned before, it just goes away like nothing happened. Um some people know their triggers. It can be their menstrual cycle. It can be when they're under severe stress um, that sets it off. And then some people can even um, connect it to uh, different foods and things that they eat. Usually children have a trigger more so than adults, but you can see the trigger oftentimes um, in adults. And usually adults have a lot more nausea associated with it um, than you see with children. And then unfortunately, People are like, so how do you treat this? It's all symptomatic. Um, so taking the medications to ultimately get you through this tough time. So if you're out there and you're like, no one can figure out what's wrong, there is something called cyclic vomiting. And it's something that you can definitely um, talk to your doctor about. Another thing that I see a good bit um, when patients are talking to me about nausea and, and vomiting is sometimes patients with real bad vertigo. Um, so if you have a known history of vertigo, you can sometimes just have these spells of nausea. Like you're not really dizzy. You just feel kind of sick to your stomach. Um, unfortunately, that's mine. My vertigo is a little, a lot more nausea predominant than dizzy predominant. I feel like I'm fairly young for some of the ailments I have, but I, I, I have vertigo in my 30s. So you're not alone. If you're out there in your 30s with, with vertigo, um, I'm approaching 40, though. So I don't know. Maybe these are just signs of uh, aging in general. But some of my patients um, who do have uh, vertigo can have a good portion um, of nausea and vomiting associated with that. So you can see that Uh some people can get a good bit of nausea and even vomiting when they have a lot of inner ear things going on. So not just vertigo. So this is not uncommon this time of the year. 
things start blooming, seasons are changing, people's allergies and sinuses um, are, are kind of flaring up, people who have a lot of chronic ear infections um, or middle ear infections, those people can have not just that dizzy feeling, but can oftentimes have nausea and even in those cases have um, some vomiting with it. So if your allergies are acting up, nose is running, sniffling more, congested, ears feel full and you're feeling a little nauseous and all those things. And a lot of times, too, if you have pretty bad post-nasal drip, a lot of drainage and those things kind of going on, it can definitely make you feel um, pretty sick to your stomach as well. So you can see those things as well. And interestingly enough that a lot of people don't like to hear when I see them in the hospital that they get admitted for this is there is actually a chronic cannabis use syndrome. So there are some patients that use an excessive amount of cannabis (laughs) on a regular and daily basis and they can get this um, nausea and vomiting pattern to it, which is interesting because we talk about some of our cancer patients and cannabis helping with nausea or helping with pain. Um, A lot of times, usually in your adolescent And actually, this is probably a more male predominant, even though I've seen it in male and female patients. Um, You can have what we call cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, and you can get a lot of vomiting, a lot of nausea and things like that um, just from um, intaking high dose daily (laughs) recreational use of cannabis is usually what that's associated with. And the treatment for that is to stop using cannabis. Um, And as I mentioned before, happy Friday. Um, And if you are out on the road listening to this segment, please make sure you are being safe because we have got quite a bit of rain um, going throughout the area, really throughout the state. Um, And so as many of us know, unfortunately, many of our fellow Mississippians aren't always the best of drivers in these kind of conditions. Um, so make sure you're being safe. And that comes from another person that's not the greatest of drivers herself, but I do take my time when it's rainy. But also not the person that my husband's like, why are people going so slow? I try to, you know, somewhere be in the middle where I'm not like too slowing down traffic, but I'm trying to be cautious and safe. But anyway, on it. So back to our subject at hand, we have been talking this morning a good bit of other causes um, of nausea and vomiting for women and anyone really outside of pregnancy and what that looks like and how can I know if it's ultimately affecting me. So I was chatting um, with our team uh, during the break and I was like, any questions you guys have? Because we haven't had a whole lot of callers recently. And so um, one of our, uh, our our producer was mentioning that he had a real bad episode of um abdominal pain and some vomiting and some nausea um, and to the point that he was actually vomiting blood. Um, And so he ended up getting a pretty good workup and found to have a hiatal hernia. Um, So that is another good uh, common cause um, of patients that can have real bad GERD and reflux. Um, For patients that are not as familiar exactly, people are like, oh, I hear people say they have a hiatal hernia. What the heck is that? So pretty much, really, you've got this diaphragm that sits in your belly that helps you breathe that big muscle. Um, Well, the feeding tube, known as your esophagus, has to get down to your stomach and through the rest of your body some kind of way. So you have essentially what we call the lower esophageal sphincter. Um, That's that muscle down there. Um, And it kind of helps keep everything down in the stomach. Also kind of is that hole around there where that hole is that your esophagus goes through your diaphragm. So sometimes you can have weakening of of that hole or area in your diaphragm where your feeding pipe goes down um, into your stomach. And so what happens is if you have that weakness, that part of your intestine, well, not intestines, part of your stomach can go up 
through that hole, and that's what we call a hiatal hernia. Your stomach is essentially kind of up in your chest where it's not supposed to be. Um, so as a result, we're not as good at keeping the food down, keeping the acid down, so those things kind of easily kind of come up. A lot of times, most people, hiatal hernias do not need to be repaired, um, and you can ultimately treat your symptoms of of heartburn or reflux or in our um, in our teammates uh, situation and acids um, to kind of help calm a lot of those excuse me help calm a lot of those symptoms um, in general. Some people that have a significant enough hiatal hernia may have to have that surgically repaired but again that is ultimately um, on a case-by-case basis. Um, one thing that I did not get uh, really dive into, but just to give people a, as a reminder and definitely hopefully not to scare anyone um, of causes of nausea and vomiting is I get a people a lot that, you know, worry about they had a family member who had some nausea, had some vomiting, ended up having a brain tumor or something of that nature. So that can sometimes be a cause um, of vomiting, but there are other symptoms. You're not just at home nauseous and vomiting. Oh, there's big brain tumor. Um, so usually that's when I tell patients, you know, get in, see your doctor, figure out what's going on. If you're having severe headaches um, with significant vision changes or any type of neurological type symptoms associated, any neurological symptoms associated with your nausea and vomiting, you need to be seeking immediate care and evaluation to make sure nothing within the brain is going on. Um, you should not be dead asleep and then wake up vomiting. Um, that is another kind of what we call red flag in medicine um, that I should be getting myself evaluated. If you're having a lot of nausea um, and also in not just vomiting or nausea by itself, plus or minus vomiting, and you're having a lot of weight loss or things like that, that again is something that you need to be getting in with your doctor to make sure nothing more serious is going on. Um, and so, you know, our typical stomach bugs, nausea, vomiting, a little bit of diarrhea, um, most stomach bugs should go away in a few days. And as long as you're able to hydrate yourself and, and um, make good urine and, you know, those types of things, you can usually handle those symptoms at home. But when you're having prolonged symptoms um, with what we call red flags or things that are concerning, I want you to make sure ultimately um, that you are reaching out to your to your doctor in general. Um, just as a kind of a reminder and recap of things that we talked about, nausea and vomiting, if you're of reproductive age, we're doing the things that we can do to know that we're getting pregnant, then a quick, easy pregnancy test over the counter is perfectly fine. There's nothing more, there's nothing we're doing to the doctor more special. Um, so you can check, that's an easy check at home. You don't have to come to the office to decide it. But if it's questionable, you have the symptoms of pregnancy, you're having a negative pregnancy test, then yes, of course, come in and see us, get blood work, that type of thing. Um, but that's something that we can easily rule out. Um, don't forget kind of our common GI symptoms. If you're having some nausea, vomiting, um, abdominal pain, all kinds of other things that point you in the direction that maybe something's going on with the stomach. Don't forget kind of those common causes within the stomach. Don't forget also that things outside of the stomach, as I mentioned, can cause a good uh, bit of nausea and vomiting as well. We talked a little bit about cyclic vomiting syndrome. That is a real thing, but it is ultimately what I like to call a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, so making sure that you're getting evaluated and ruling out a lot of those other causes. Um, don't forget some of the uh, other things that you want to make sure that you don't miss stomach wise. If you're having, like I said before, significant vomiting, 
feeling and nausea that just will not go away, your belly significantly distended, or things of that nature are going on. Those are my patients from a stomach standpoint that need to get immediate care. Also, if you're having significant nausea and have a high risk of possibly having a heart attack with some sweating, some chest pain, some shortness of breath, I need you to be getting to a doctor and not brushing your nausea off as I just ate something bad earlier. That the, your body's telling you something else is going on if you're short of breath and sweating and some other things. So I hope that you're going out um, and getting yourself checked. I did leave out some other, you know, kind of causes we see. So some of our patients that have thyroid illness, so if you have an overactive thyroid. I actually had this probably about a month ago. My patient came in and she just was having persistent nausea. And then every now and then would have some vomiting. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. I just don't feel right. Um, and then after I talked to her a good bit, she had been having some weight loss and she had her heart had been racing. Um, and she had noticed that her blood pressure was up a little bit. And then after we talked a good bit more, she'd also had some diarrhea, some changes in her hair. She was screaming thyroid um, and come to find out ultimately was having uh, an overactive thyroid. So even an overactive thyroid um, can cause you some nausea and vomiting. If you've had new onset of nausea and vomiting and you've started a new medication, um, don't forget, you know, just go back over your medicine. See what you've started recently. Over-the-counter medications can do these things as well. So I tell patients, don't forget about that. And I'm not in any way saying after listening to this podcast, stop your medicines. Talk to your doctor and see what your other options are ultimately for different medications as well. So I hope that you guys learned a lot about nausea and vomiting. And as with every Friday, I hope that you you take this time just to say, huh, maybe it's time for me to get back in with my doctor and just get my regular checkup or something's not right and I need to get some things checked out and I need to get in with my doctor. And so I enjoy spending my Friday mornings with you guys. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and it's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nani. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health and stay tuned to NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.